I grew up in uh, church, as I've said before, and, and you, you pick up a lot of things that people just say from time to time. And I had a preacher one time that uh, after a great special or something like that, he would say, if that won't light your fire, then your wood's wet and things like that. And I'll tell you, if you baptize somebody and then get to preach, that is, that is the joy of the Lord right there. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we've been preaching through the Gospel of John, and um, instead of trying to go through every single detail, I want to catch uh, the, the high points, I want to kind of catch the things that, that really speak to what Jesus was saying and doing, so there are some things in this chapter that I won't get into, um, but we are going to cover the entire chapter and look at the different things um, that are going on, and what this is, is part of a continuing conflict that Jesus was in with the religious leaders of his day. Um, as you know... Jesus came from heaven, um, was the Son of God, was the Messiah, what we understand, and when he began to teach and perform miracles, immediately those that were religious leaders of the day had a problem with Jesus, and we see that throughout the scriptures. Um, and, and so it seems like at every turn, people were contradicting Jesus or challenging him, and so that's what we're going to be seeing today. And it reminded me, have, have you ever been in a situation where it seemed like every person was constant, or someone was constantly contradicting you? No matter what you said, it seemed like they were living in a different plane of existence. For them, up is down, and, 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 and dry is wet, and you know, right is left, and all these things that, that happen, every single thing that you say, you are somehow contradicted and challenged uh, based on what they believe and what they understand to, to, to be true. So no, we're not talking about parenting teenagers today. Uh, what we're going to be talking about is the fact that Jesus, in everything that he said, everything that he did, there was religious leaders that were there to challenge him and contradict him um, and, and go against what he um, had to say. And what I will say is that every claim that the Bible makes, when we find it in Scripture, there is someone in the world saying that it doesn't mean that or that that's wrong. There's someone that thinks they're smart enough to educate God instead of listen to what he himself has to say. Jesus is the master teacher. And we will see as he exposes the lies of Satan as he is confronted in this passage. So we're going to see that, that Jesus, he recognizes. He's not against Pharisees or scribes or Sadducees or even the Sanhedrin, he is against the enemy, the ultimate enemy, Satan. And he knows that Satan is active in the world and challenging him and trying to stop him from doing the work that God sent him to do. And I would tell you from the very beginning of this that Satan is still active in this world and he is still trying to stop God's plan. He will fail, but he is still trying to stop. And we need to be aware of what he's doing so that we can see it um, and that, that we can stand against him also. So the sermon in a sentence is simply this. Jesus is mercy, light, and truth to those who trust him. And so those are the things we're going to be looking at is the mercy, the light, and the truth. And so Jesus is those things to those of us that trust him. And so I'm going to read this chapter to you. And it is long, but it definitely there's a lot in here that, that we need to see. And so we're going to start uh, John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, 
Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What, so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father, the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and, you, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself... My glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now I know that's a lot there, and we're going to focus on three things this morning. We're going to look at the mercy first um, that Jesus has. So we're looking at this sinner among sinners, this story that we have at the very beginning, this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. So we know that Jesus came to Jerusalem for the festival of the booths and he was still there. And so he was in Jerusalem, he was in and out of the temple teaching, he was doing his ministry the way that, that he had uh, been doing it before even in Galilee. Um, and so it is a continuing ministry. 
Now, we know that Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders continued, but this doesn't seem to affect his popularity with the masses. People were continuing to come and listen to Jesus. They wanted to see what sign he was going to do next, any kind of miracle that he was going to do. They were very interested. Um, And while he is teaching, he is interrupted by a group of scribes and Pharisees who have caught a woman in the act of adultery. So Jesus is teaching in a setting in the temple where people have gathered around, they're listening to him. We're not told what he was teaching, um, but it probably was something like some of the other teachings that we do have recorded. Maybe it was some parts of the Sermon on the Mount, or maybe it was some of the, the discussions that we're about to read later in John. But what we do know is that he was teaching, and all of a sudden, these, these Pharisees and these scribes kind of burst in. So they would have made a disturbance. They bring this woman in. And, and, and we don't need to assume that they walked her in gently and just, you know, just stood her there and stepped back and said, look what we found. I'm sure it was almost like one of these violent arrests where they grab her and they throw her in, in the midst of, of, of them and they accuse her and they are ready to execute her. And so what happens is this is obviously a trap um, because the accusers remind Jesus of the law believing that he would counsel for mercy. They believed that Jesus would say, we're not fixing to stone this lady. Um, And and so then they would be able to, to attack him. So the deal is if Jesus condemns the woman according to the law, he is without mercy. If he shows mercy to the woman, he has broken the law of Moses. It was in the law of Moses that a husband of a wife that had been caught in adultery could privately divorce her if he didn't wish to have her publicly shamed and stoned. Um, So there was room for mercy within the law, but what happens here is is that instead of having a a situation where, where it's the husband and he's able to deal with the situation, it is brought before Jesus. Now in that act, Jesus is nominated or elected as judge in this situation. So the people then have to actually deal with what what he chooses to say and what he chooses to do. It is worth noting that these guys don't call Jesus rabbi. They call him teacher, which is a lesser title. Rabbi was, was, was a, a, a title full of respect. It, it actually translates something like master, but it, it was definitely had, had to do with teacher. But here they call him teacher, which is a lower title. So they don't give him the respect that even maybe they would have given him earlier in his ministry or at some other point. They're trying to trap him to put him in a situation where there's absolutely nothing he can do. Now, the $10,000 question is, what did Jesus write in the, in the dirt, on the ground? What did he write in the sand? Nobody knows. People have guessed. Um, people have guessed that, that he wrote the names of the men and their sins down, or he, he, had, he had written something, you know, some scripture that he had, he had written down that reminded them of what maybe they should have done in this situation. Nobody knows what Jesus wrote in, in the sand as he was waiting to, to engage with these men. Um, whatever it was, it was between Jesus and whoever it was meant for, it wasn't for us. So eventually Jesus, because they, they, what are you going to do? So Jesus stands up and he essentially tells them, anyone who is without the same kind of sin, take up stones and, and cast the first stone. So he's not saying without sin, so the perfect among you throw the stones. Because that might be how it reads in English, but when you look in the original language, what he's saying is, Anybody that doesn't have the same kind of sin. So if you don't have sexual impurity in your life, then you can pick up a stone and throw it at her. And the men start leaving slowly. The old men first, and all the way down to the youngest man. 
Now, we are not to believe that every one of these men were adulterers, but they had sexual impurity in their life. They'd had impure thoughts. They had, they had done things that they knew were wrong. They'd been unfaithful in some way or another. And so what we see here is that these people that came, they, they didn't come because of their righteous indignation, because they do some of the same things. What they came for was to trap Jesus, to put him in an impossible situation, and he simply, because he knew their hearts, he knew what was going on in their lives, he knew that they were in no position to judge, so he challenged them on that, and they went away slowly. So, Jesus stands up, says, anyone without sin, cast the first stone. Um, after this statement, Jesus does continue to write on the ground. Um, and, and since Jesus has been elected as judge of this case, he is able to dismiss it uh, when there are no witnesses or no accusers. And so that's essentially how it works, is those that were accusing her and those that would have witnessed the act, all of them leave. So there's no case. No, no accuser, no witness, no case. And so he dismisses her um, because there, there is no case. He sends her away, commanding her to go and not continue sinning. This is very important, what Jesus says, go and sin no more. What he is saying is, is not that he's totally okay with everything that happened there. He's saying go and, and, and don't continue sinning. Now, notice that the, the, the religious people call Jesus teacher, well, when, when he asked her, where are those that, you know, is there anybody left that accuses you? And she says, no, she says, no, Lord. And so she gives him a higher title and recognizes his authority, whereas those that were coming, actually submitting this case to them, didn't recognize that authority. And so what we see is that there was something happening. Maybe it wasn't verbal. Maybe what was, was happening was not something that, that, that we were told, but something happened in that woman, and Jesus knew that it was time to show mercy. Jesus knew. We don't get to judge that, but Jesus knew there was a time for mercy and there was a time for judgment, and this was a time for mercy. So, it is important for us to note that Jesus is not condoning the sin of this woman, and here are a few other takeaways from the story. One, God's judgment is impartial, and it only comes to the unrepentant. So God is judge, and He will pour out His judgment on those that, that sin but only on those who are unrepentant. If you repent of your sins, Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven, and then we can receive mercy like this woman did in this particular instance. And so that's important for us to recognize, first of all, is that God's justice is impartial. And so if the woman was willing to repent, then she was receiving mercy. The men that accused her went away. They did not confess their sins. Uh, they did not seem to be humble about it. They just simply went away. Now, we should not seek to be the judge of anyone because that job belongs to Jesus. We don't know everything that's going on. We are not aware of what God is doing in the heart of a person. God can use the events of this world, even the broken and sinful events of this world, God can use them to redeem people. We are not the judges. And so these people that brought this woman to Jesus attempted or assumed that mantle of judgment. And Jesus did not let them keep it. He did not let them keep it because they didn't deserve it. Now the other thing. God's mercy for those willing to turn from their sin is breathtaking. Who ultimately is the author of the law of Moses? Is it not God himself? So God himself said that someone caught, or a woman specifically, caught in, the, in, the, in the, the sin of adultery, they are to be stoned. It was God's justice, God's law. 
But yet it was God himself, and we'll make that point pretty clear by the end of the sermon, it was God himself that said, go and sin no more. It was God himself that showed mercy. She had to display humility, and she had to display a willingness to repent. And so, and there may have been even more circumstances, because in the first century, not every woman that was called an adultery was willing. That was just part of the way of the world at that particular time. Whatever Jesus saw, whatever Jesus knew, he was ready to show mercy. And so what we can understand is that when God shows mercy, for us, it is breathtaking, because it was his law. It was his rules that he set up, and, 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 and they were broken, but yet God still showed mercy. If you sit here this morning redeemed, bought by the blood of the Lamb, the very last feeling we should ever have is entitlement. We are not deserving of the mercy that God has given us, but we have received it because He is good, because He has chosen to pour out His forgiveness on people that simply decided to turn away from their sins. We should praise the Lord for the mercy He has shown us and live pure lives to honor Jesus for His sacrifice. So we are not earning salvation or earning justice by living pure lives. We are honoring God with those pure lives that we live. And that is the important thing, and that's what we need to remember to strive for, is that when we are saved and we live a pure life, you're still not earning anything as if to put God in debt. We are simply honoring God for the, for the great gift that He has given us when we live uh, pure lives, lives that are submitted to His way and to His truth. Okay, so this is kind of where I will start kind of highlighting more than spending uh, time on every single thing that's said. Um, but we're going to be looking at this portion where Jesus says that He is the light of the world. So after this event, it doesn't have to be the same day, but after this event, Jesus continued to teach. And it seems that there was once again a mix of people who were genuinely interested uh, in what He was saying and people who were looking to accuse Him of false teaching. Now, it's something that, that, that I have noticed, and it, it, it is of interest here. Um, Jesus was a teacher. And so there were Pharisees or scribes or whatever sitting in the audience listening for that moment when he teaches something that they deem to be false. He, they were waiting. They were watchdogs waiting to catch him in false teaching. There are not so many sober vigilant watchdogs in churches today. People that are checking. Remember in, in the book of Acts, it talked about the Berean Christians. And when Paul would come and he would teach to them, it said that they were listening and then they were checking the Scriptures, searching the Scriptures to see if these things were so. That is a good practice. That is an excellent practice. When you hear teaching on the Bible, look in the Bible and see if it lines up with what the Bible says. Make sure that you're not just taking what you're told at face value. So I'm not necessarily elevating or lifting up these people that were trying to catch Jesus because their intent was malicious. Um, but it is interesting that we are not as careful as they were in allowing people to teach and allowing things to be said that clearly go against Scripture. So Jesus says that he is the light of the world, which indicates that outside of Jesus... There is only darkness. Now, what, is, what does that mean? 
In this case, that darkness is, is like ignorance. It is not knowing. It is, it is without knowledge of what's going on. So what is the darkness? Well, for the Jews, they lived um, in, in a system where they believed that if they did the right things um, and, and paid the right prices, made the right sacrifices, that they had achieved God's favor. Well, that is ignorance because we cannot achieve God's favor by doing works. If we could work our way into heaven... God would not have sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins. Think about the sacrifice there. And let's put it in personal terms. Let's put it in personal terms. If you're in a situation where someone's in a life and death situation and you have, there is a way that they can be saved or you can give your life and they can be saved, wouldn't you choose the other way? Wouldn't we only choose death if that was the only option? God did not choose the death of Jesus because it was a way to save us. He chose the death of Jesus because it was the only way to save us. So working your way to heaven is not a way. People that believe in works-based salvation are in darkness. Jesus is the light to cure that, but they are in darkness. And we look across the rest of the world, and, and, and that is why we are missionaries, why we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, because across the rest of the world, there are places where Jesus is not named as Lord. There are places where people don't know Him, they don't know what He teaches, and they are in that same darkness. Jesus said He is the light of the world. When He brings that light into the world, He brings that knowledge of who He is. He changes the whole world by just proclaiming who He is. So now the Pharisees claimed that Jesus was, was testifying about himself without a witness, so his teaching must be false. And that was kind of their way. There, there must be one and then a second in order for something to be true. And they considered what he was saying not necessarily be a teaching, but an actual testimony. And so they said that it has to be false because there's no one else. And let me just throw this out there. The truth is true even if only one person is telling it. That needs to be said in all of America today, and it needs to be said all over the world. The truth is true, even if there's only one person telling it. I would expect across all of history, the people telling the truth have always been in the minority. The people actually speaking the truth have always been the, the quietest voice. And I think that's, that's clear as, as we get further into this conversation. And Jesus talks about that even the religious leaders were not necessarily children of Abraham, but children of Satan. They were following the will of their father, who is Satan, who has been lying from the beginning. He's the father of all lies. I believe that there is many more lies going around than there is truth, and we need to be looking for that truth. So Jesus and the Father both declare uh, to the position and the mission of Jesus on this earth. So what's his position? Jesus was God on this earth. And, and maybe you would, you would read that first little bit and you'd say, well, it doesn't necessarily say that he's God. But by the end of it, he says, before Abraham was, I am. That is God's name. If you'll recall, all the way back in the Old Testament, when Moses was before the burning bush, and, and that was God saying, go and you know, deliver my people. I want you to be my spokesman to the Pharaoh and deliver my people. And Moses kept giving excuses, and finally he said, well, what's your name? What, what name do I tell them? And God said, tell them, I am what I am. And so throughout Hebrew history, the name I am, in their language, was the name of God. And so Jesus doesn't just say, I am He, which that, it does happen a few times. He doesn't just say, I am the Good Shepherd, I am the Light of the World. All of those would have been using that same terminology, but right here He just said, 
before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is abundantly and clearly claiming deity. He is claiming to be God. There are a lot of religions out there that claim that Jesus is not God. And, and I can see why that would be advantageous for other religions, because if Jesus is not God, then you throw out the entire New Testament because it all says that he is. And so then it becomes invalid, and, and you just take some of the moral teachings out of it. Well, let me tell you, the morality of Christianity without the power of Christianity will be corrupted. It always will be corrupted. Because people will try to live moral for a little while, but eventually, because there, there is not the power, there is not the spirit backing it up, that morality will slip, it will be corrupted, it will be changed, there will be all of these little what-if statements, and before you know it, people are doing things that have nothing to do with what God once laid down as true and right and good actions in, the, in, in this world. So the Pharisees go on to prove that they are in darkness because they cannot see Jesus, the truth of his words, or the Father who sent him. And so Jesus kind of plays all that out for them. He says, you don't know me, you don't know the Father, you don't know the truth of these words. All of that is darkness for them. And, and what we see is that this existence in darkness, to some extent, it, it just happens to all of us, and, and then God brings in the light. But to some people, that darkness is a choice. It is a willful choice, and for the Pharisees, it was a willful choice. Not only could they not see Jesus, they didn't want to see him for who he was. They didn't want to see that he truly was sent by the Father. They didn't want to see that he was the answer to the prayers of the Jewish people for generations because it would change everything for them. They had to reject that. So in this passage, Jesus not only claims to be Messiah, but he clearly claims to be one with God. He says, it's me and the Father that's testifying. Now, the Pharisees may not have understood that Jesus was talking about God, but I think that they really were. What happens is that they reject his teaching. They reject who he is. And so there is that other kind of darkness. There's the kind of darkness that is on all of us until we know, and there is the kind of darkness that is on us because we reject. And the Pharisees were certainly in that part of it. Now, they wanted to arrest him, and the Pharisees were seeking to arrest him, um, but we see here, John says again, it was not his hour. God had a plan, and that plan went through certain steps, and, and it wasn't time for him to be arrested yet, so he was not able to be arrested. So although some of the people listening were in darkness, many others saw the light and believed in Jesus. It says that many of the Jews that were there listening that day actually believed on Jesus, so there were actual conversions happening during this time. And so what we can see is that it wasn't that Jesus was confusing people, he wasn't speaking in riddles and saying things that people didn't understand. There were people choosing not to understand, and there were people choosing to believe. And that's the difference. And so what we have to recognize is that in this world today, we go out and we, we present the truth. Just like Jesus did, we go out and we present the truth. There will be people who listen, and then they decide what they do. There will be people who believe, and there will be people who refuse to believe. And we have to understand that. Um, one of, the, one of the things that I think a lot of people in here like to do is go fishing. A lot of us like to go fishing. And Jesus made the comparison that we now, as, as we go into the world, we are fishers of men. One thing about that illustration that, that you don't hear brought out all the time is that when you go fishing, you don't catch all the fish. You don't catch all the fish in, in the lake or the river or whatever, but you do catch some, hopefully. Um, but when we go out, to present the gospel, when we go out to talk to people, not everybody's going to believe. Jesus was on this earth proclaiming the truth and people rejected him. We're no better than him, for sure. And so people are going to reject when we pro pro proclaim the gospel as well, but we have to go out and we have to share the gospel. 
So here's an important thing. Always remember that it may seem like the whole world is against Jesus, but we must go on believing in Him. Just as when Jesus was on this earth telling the truth and people were rejecting Him, people are still against Jesus. They are against His principles. They are against the things that are fundamental and foundational. You see... Even to this day, I got the chance to talk to a police officer yesterday, and he said the thing that people do not want to admit is that there is true evil in this world. They always want to blame something. They don't want to blame that there is actual evil in this world, but there is. There is real evil, and it, it is a power that, it, that is working in this world. It, it's there. Obviously, we don't think of evil as something that is inanimate or just a force. We recognize that it is the enemy of God, Satan. And he is working every way he can against what God is doing. That's why he, he makes all these arguments. And you see these arguments against God or, or against the, the truth of the, uh, of the creation or, or, or against life itself. You see all these arguments. They come from the enemy. They come from Satan. And we have to recognize that. And so let's finish this up by talking about the power of truth. And we'll go pretty quickly through this. Um, but as Jesus continues to teach in Jerusalem, he continues to meet opposition from the religious leaders. He proclaims that any, anyone who keeps his word is truly his disciples and that they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. And so that's what Jesus says. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, this began to be a problem, and, and you can kind of see some of this happening. They said, we're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. All of us, when we're little, in Sunday school, we study about the Hebrew children that went into Egypt and were made to be slaves. We know that they were slaves. If you read the book of Judges, they were made to be slaves half a dozen times during that book. We know that they were slaves. But somehow they don't quite equate that. And so they don't understand it. So from the very beginning, it is a denial of truth. We've never been enslaved to anyone. And Jesus is not talking about anyone. Ultimately, he makes it clear that he's talking about sin. You have been slaves to sin. Anyone that commits sin, that goes on sinning, lives in sin. Anyone that practices sin is a slave to sin. And then he says, you know what? The slave doesn't stay in the house forever. Because he's talking to the Jews. They're in the house. They couldn't even fathom a way that they would never be in the house or that they wouldn't be in the house. That's why that's, it gets really weird when Jesus says, I'm going somewhere and you're not going to be able to go there. And they say, is he planning on killing himself? Because, you know, where's he going? Well, the only place they figured they could never go is to God's judgment. That's the one place they figured they'd never be. And so they said, Jesus must have to do something that would bring God's judgment on him because otherwise we could go anywhere he can go. And so that was what was so confusing to them was that they believed that they were above reproach, that they were above judgment. They believed that from what they did and how they lived, they could not be challenged. And Jesus was challenging them. And that threw off their entire worldview, threw off everything. He said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, those that believed in Jesus, those that did accept him, they were changed. But the rest were still against him. So, the Pharisees and the other opponents of Jesus are from Satan. And they hate the truth. So they speak lies. Now Satan is very, very crafty. And I think it's important that we know this. Satan doesn't tell only lies, but he always lies. And so Satan takes truth, and then he takes lies, 
and he mixes them together. And it makes for a compelling argument. It always does. It always sounds either emotionally satisfying or intellectually satisfying or, or, or some other way. It, it, it makes sense. But it's lies mixed in there. And that's the danger. That's how he does damage because he makes us, he makes us take it. Going back to fishing one more time, you have a lure, right? You have something that looks like food to a fish. It looks good. It looks like something they want. But in the middle of it, is a hook, and that's the danger. And so the way that Satan works with us is that he presents something that, that looks like it needs to look. It has all the trappings. It has everything that makes it look right, but there's a hook in there, and that's the dangerous part. And so how do we avoid that? Well, we know the truth that Jesus is talking about. We look for that truth. How would you know that you were a part of a ministry that was not centered on Jesus Christ. Well, look for how they teach the gospel. How do they teach the gospel? Do they teach the gospel the way that you can read it in scriptures? And, and, and let me be clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, first couple of verses, verse 4 through verse 6, tells you what the gospel is. As plain as day, it tells you what the gospel is. People are adding to that, taking away from that. It's not the gospel anymore. And so we've got to be clear about what they teach about Jesus. There are issues that there are matters of debate, but not about the gospel. It is abundantly clear. And so if you look there, you can know that because ultimately the most important thing, the most important thing that we can look for is our people being saved by Jesus Christ. That's where the truth is. So until Jesus returns, the children of Satan will have the majority, but we must continue to speak the truth of Jesus even in this hostile world. I believe that we will be in the minority until Jesus comes. If we preach the message of Jesus Christ, there will be fewer and fewer people of us that are the voices, and there will be fewer and fewer people that listen and believe. I do believe that to be true, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is losing or that the gospel is failing. That just means that we're seeing the battle from the way that God is seeing the battle. He knows that there is an amount of people that's going to believe. There's an amount of people that's going to be saved and the world is going to rage against, but it will never succeed. And then Jesus will return. So the Jews do cling to their physical lineage as uh, dependents or descendants of Abraham. Um, but Jesus warns them that physical descent has not translated into faithful obedience. He says, you say that you descended from Abraham, but you don't do what Abraham did. Abraham believed, you doubt. Abraham showed love and kindness and mercy and compassion and all you want to do is, is kill. And so for them, they were not living like Abraham. Um, that same sinful attitude that caused the Jews to kill most of the prophets would now have them seeking the life of Jesus himself. It, 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 they mentioned the prophets. You know, Abraham and the prophets, well, most of the prophets were executed by the Jewish authorities because they rejected their message. And so that is an unfortunate part that, that just seems to come out in this, in, in this particular group. And, and we know that it comes out um, in other places as well. So if, any, if there has been any doubt about Jesus and about Jesus' identity before, he clears it up at the end of this passage when he says, Before Abraham was, I am. If anybody ever tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God... This is your verse. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus claims to be God. Not to be just sent from God. Not just to be God's son, if people don't understand what that means, although that is also a claim to be God. Not anything else. He is claiming to be God. 
That is God's name that Jesus uses. Now, just remind you about, about the Jews. Because of the commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain, they didn't say God's name. It was not something that you said. They had other names and other ways of referencing. They did not use the given name of God. And so when he would have said that, people would have gasped. People would have been so upset just from hearing the name because you're not supposed to say that name. And then to recognize that he was saying that he is God, that's when they began to take up stones. They were ready to kill him at that moment. We don't know how Jesus hid himself, but we know that he hid himself and he left because, again, it wasn't his hour. So, i got three things I want us to take away from this in conclusion. No, 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 i got one more thing to say first. The truths of Jesus may sometimes be hard to hear, but if we accept them, he will set us free and give us eternal life. He tells us that if you believe in him, if you listen to his words, you will not see death. Now, they kind of messed up and said, taste death, but he said, see death. You see, real death is permanent. It's eternal. And Jesus says, you won't have that. If you believe in him, if you trust in him, you will not have that. So now let's wrap this up. Three things. God is merciful to any sinner who is humbly ready to repent. We cannot come in pride. We cannot come to check a box off of our checklist of things we've got to do. Getting saved is not something you put on your bucket list. But if you humbly come before God and say, I repent of my sins, I turn away from my old life and I want to live a new life, that is salvation for you. Jesus brings light into this world of darkness. He gives us the context whereby we can interpret the things that we see. Without Jesus, without His truth, we don't understand what we're seeing. And that is important for us to remember. And finally, His truth has the power to set us free if we will listen to Him instead of the powers of this world. The world might have good ideas. The world occasionally might even have good intentions. But the world does not have truth. Jesus has the truth. We listen to Him. He sets us free. What does that mean? Well, in this context, it means he sets us free from sin. We can now live a life that is pure. We can live a life that honors him. And that's what we must seek to do. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time to gather together for a few minutes. I pray that as we have had the opportunity to sing the songs of the faith, we have seen obedience in action through uh, Isabel's baptism. We have seen your son, Jesus, contend with those that, are, that, that oppose Him. We know that there are those that still oppose Him to this day. I pray that You would help us to look deep into our heart, make sure that we are living in the light of Jesus Christ, that we have received and believed His truth, and that we have been set free. And then, Father, I pray that You make us messengers of that truth, and that you help us to live in that freedom from sin that we have so that we can live honorable and pure lives that glorify you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.